Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Hello and welcome to the Ringers Philly special. This segment brought to you live on FanDuel TV. So you better be watching. You better be following the Ringer and FanDuel TV on socials to see the schedule for the local angle out every single week. I am not the usual voice here at the top of the show. I am not Shil Kapadia. I am Ben Solak, joined by a good buddy who I've not yet shared the airwaves with on Philly special. Raheem Palmer. Raheem, thanks for jumping on. Always on. I mean, we haven't we haven't even spoken and and done done this before, so it's always yeah. always good for last me time fans. we were chatting. We were chatting about NFL betting angles way back in, in the beginning of the run, where you hit uh, the NFL season, you go into the NBA season, and it's just uh, nose to the grindstone making money. Are you a are you a big MLB better? I don't know this about you. Do you do you hate the baseball season at all, or is this your your off time? So last year I was betting like MLB majorly. Like I mean, yeah. it was so lucrative. Like. I was like living in a Vegas hotel last year during baseball season <laughs> and just betting outlandish amounts of money. So um, um, I'm not really betting right now. Um, I'm kind of like on a on a high hiatus. I'm just focusing on NBA, but I'm probably going right. to jump in the MLB at some point. I uh, for the fourth time in four games, I bet on the heat last night and it finally it finally came back to bite me in the butt. But I don't mind the fact that I'm going three one fading the Celtics. It certainly feels good as a little bit of a revenge tour, which 
our uh, our topic for FanDuel TV today is these Philadelphia 76ers who I will say I would have liked to have beaten the Celtics. A nice consolation prize is watching themselves embarrass themselves on a more national stage to the Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler, whom I still hold dearly. Jimmy, obviously, uh, out of Philly a few years ago. Now the question is James Harden, uh, the star point guard for the Sixers, who was apparently a big part in Doc Rivers being uh, fired for the Sixers head coaching job. Pretty much halfway through the season, you already heard rumors that Harden might be looking to go back to Houston, kind of a return to the Rockets. Brian Windhorst of ESPN reports yesterday that if uh, he had to uh, read the tea leaves, he's not necessarily sourcing it, but just off of his, his read of the room, Harden interest in the Rockets might be more of a leverage play. It might be more of an opportunity to try to get a larger contract and a bigger contract and a larger contract out of the Sixers or maybe a third unknown team. And so when you look at the Sixers and James Harden, it's a two-part question. One, should they want him back? And two, will he come back if they want him? Okay, this is tough just because if you ask me, James Harden, I mean, you don't want to pay James Harden $200 million for the next four years. Here's a guy yes. who scored zero points in the fourth quarter through games five through seven. However, we all know giving how me, Giving me works. just shaky looks back to those Ben Simmons fourth quarter graphs from, from, from the last playoff stretch for the Sixers. Those are the Hawks games. Yeah, yeah, That's uh, We don't like fourth quarter scoring uh, uh, summaries here in Philadelphia 76ers land. It gives us the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, but it, I mean, we all know how the NBA works. The NBA works is that you got to have the asset because if you lose a guy like James Harden for nothing and you're still not under the cap, you're in a tough position. So I think they're forced to just kind of just go all in and say, you know what, we're going to sign James Harden and, and, you know, hopefully it works. But it, it appears as though he's he's dead set on, on going back to Houston. Yeah, so he's got he's got the player option, right? Which means that he has the ability to kind of get in or get out if he wants to. And I, in terms of him dead set on getting back to Houston, I could see him dead set on getting as much money as possible over this kind of the 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 twilight of his career, right? He's turning thirty four in a couple of months, and Houston being the option for that, right? Where he's just going to be able to get more out of them than he would get out of Philadelphia. I'm inclined to believe. He's interested in like actually re remaining on a championship caliber roster with a championship caliber team, if only because that's what he did when he initially went to Houston and then went to Brooklyn and then in Philadelphia, like all of these teams have been teams that have been built to be contenders. They've been built around stars to make a run. So presumably he has some interest in that. But then again, it is James Harden in the playoffs. And every year you watch him in the playoffs, you start asking yourself, how much does this guy really care about winning playoff basketball games? Because he doesn't seem to have that clutch aspect to his game. He doesn't seem to have that killer aspect to his game that we certainly saw on display from Jason Tatum late in the series and then have seen on display from Jimmy Butler and Nicole Jokic pretty much the entire playoffs. These guys finish games and Harden just never seems particularly interested in that. So it's difficult. I, I'm not 100% convinced that Harden's overall objective is like, I got to return to Houston. I'm not 100% convinced his overall objective is I got to make the most money possible. I'm certainly not 100% convinced his overall objective is I got to try to get a championship under my belt before my career ends. It's very hard to nail down what he wants. And so it's very difficult to figure out kind of what his side of this might end up looking like when it comes to a reunion with the, with the Sixers. You know, when I look at James Harden, I see somebody who, and I, I want to give Harden some credit on this because when he came to the Sixers, he sacrificed a lot. He took less than the max. He mm -hmm. also opted to not play his style of play. And we all know James Harden's style of play is the heliocentric style of play to where he controls the ball on every possession. And you saw his stats actually go down. And the one thing about James Harden is that 
if you ask me, he had the better series than jo- Joel Embiid. I mean, he yeah. won games one and, and, and four. Like, he won those games. So when James Harden performed, the Sixers won. So I think on some aspects, he might feel as though he's better than Joel Embiid. Um, and maybe he's not saying this, but I'm pretty sure he feels this way because, I mean, we saw we saw it in the playoffs. Um, Joel Embiid was the number one guy, and he didn't perform like a number one guy. And, you know, the one thing about James Harden, he has ties to the community in Houston. Um, obviously, he likes the weather. Obviously, this yeah. is a guy who likes to party. He likes strip clubs. He he likes to go out. He likes the social vibrancy of what you can get in Houston over Philadelphia. And as somebody who, you know, I've lived in Philly for much of my life. Um, I went to school here. I was a DJ here. Um, you know, I was like on the social scene heavy. Other cities have much more to offer. And this is an L.A. guy who likes to go out and party heavy. So I just think as much as he loves Maury and as much as he wants to compete for a championship, Daryl Maury can't offer him the city of Houston and it can't offer him, you know, no state taxes. So I think Philly is fighting an uphill battle in that regard, especially because I think he's probably looking at the landscape and he's looking at the Celtics and he's looking at teams like, you know, Denver Nuggets. He's looking at the Miami Heat and he's wondering if he truly can compete for a championship here. And if he can't get a championship here, he might as well live in the city that he wants to live in and play right. a style of basketball that he wants to, to play. Um, so, in addition to getting the money that he wants. Yeah. So let's, let's look at this from the other perspective. Then. Let's look at this from the Sixers perspective, because, okay, it might be tough to give Harden what he wants, such as to get him back in the building. I want to ask, okay, well, like, should the Sixers want Harden back? Which is kind of like a ridiculous thing to ask about a player who right now in the Ringer NBA rankings is 20, like is one of the top 20 players in the NBA. You generally want to get those dudes back. But for Philadelphia now, with so many seasons of second round playoff appearances and second round playoff exits, now with a uh, new head coach coming into the building who we don't know just yet, and that obviously makes figuring out the Harden situation a little trickier, there's a warranted question of, okay, are they at a stage where they should be building for veteran players, established players, players in or maybe a little past their prime in the attempt to build a, a, a new contender around Joel Embiid, once again, trying to find this elusive championship team around Joel Embiid, or should they be prioritizing youth? Should they be prioritizing finding cap space and finding draft picks? and and executing what's not like a full tear down and rebuild, but perhaps a soft reload, try to figure out, okay, who are going to be our next generation of stars now that we tried to have a generation of stars with Ben Simmons, Marco Foltz, and Joel Embiid, and simply completely whiffed in that effort. And so when you think about the Sixers bringing James Harden back, should they be at a point where they kind of say, all right, if he's over 30 and he's hitting the max, it's just not for us right now. We're not that team. You know, see... It's a tough situation just because you still yeah. have the MVP and Joel Embiid. Yeah. You want to maximize his years because, I mean, we're at a point now where I think we're going to see unprecedented player movement over the next, you know, 12 to 24 months. And Joel Embiid is at that point where if you don't prove that you can build a contender around him, he's going to ask for a trade. So you want to try to maximize that first and foremost. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. the Sixers just find themselves in a tough spot. I think obviously they have Tobias's um, expiring contract. So maybe they might want to move him. I think if you can bring Harden back, you move Tobias, you try to make some other moves. I think that's what you, you have to do first because I just right. it's tough to get a player as good as Joel Embiid. I mean, like we saw it with Allen Iverson. 
we didn't have another star player for about another 10, 15 years. So you kind of have to, you owe it to the fans and you owe it to, you know, the organization to do your due diligence and trying to build a winner around Joel Embiid first and foremost. You said you expect unprecedented player movement in the next 12, 24 months. Why so? What, what, what do you see that you're like, oh, this league's about to get shaken up in a big way? Okay, so the biggest thing is that you have the new CBA kicking in. And the new CBA yeah. has all of these punitive penalties um, in terms of, um, you know, meeting, um, going over the, the, the tax threshold. And I think you're going to see a lot of guys move. And then I also think you, you see a lot of guys who are in tough situations. Like, look at, you know, Trey Young. I mean, there's been rumors about him being traded. You look at a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo. The Bucks are com- kind of falling apart. You look at... Chris Middleton is a free agent this summer. You got Drew Holiday. He's talking about retiring after this contract is over. They got a new coach. That situation can be done, you know, instantly. I mean, then right. you look at other guys. You, you got Kyrie Irving, a free agent this summer. Um, the, the the Mavericks are in, like kind of in tor- turmoil. I mean, you could have Luka Doncic asking out at some point. So I think with all, the new CBA and just a lot of guys not in real stable situations, I mean... You're going to see a lot of movement. And I think, you know, a lot of scouts and a lot of people in the front offices have been saying that recently. Yeah, I think that I very much agree that I think the new CBA is going to be enormous in terms of putting the the number of teams like the Sixers are a perfect example. The number of teams who are able to convince themselves that they were contenders and and accordingly Mm -hmm. behave like a contender against the cap in terms of their books. That number was was quite big. It was bigger than the amount of teams that can make the finals. It was bigger than the amount of teams that can make the conference finals. There was a lot of teams behaving this way. And this new CBA directly punishes those teams who trick themselves into thinking they have that when they don't. And, and I think you might, I like, I'll be curious to see if it's this summer or next summer. I think that, you know, it takes teams sometimes to kind of change the way that they behave. But I wouldn't be surprised if you see, you know, this summer, those teams that still believe they're contenders try to push and be aggressive and the money gets big. And then all of a sudden they're caught with their pants around their ankles a little bit. And in the summers to come, when they realize how much they've they've, they've crippled themselves, so we'll see. It's uh, it it's an enticing hope that there's a lot of player movement because then that just means I can figure out ways to make the Sixers fixed in a season because a lot of players <laughs> might become available. Um, but it it still it does feel a little bit pipe dreamy. Uh, last Sixers thing I want to hear from you, Raheem. You look at this list of potential uh coaching hires, right? The, the list for the Sixers interviews, and you see Monty Williams, and you see. Uh, 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 Frank Vogel, you see Nick Nurse, right? Uh, who are you looking at on, on this list? Mike Budenholzer, Sam Castle, Mark D'Antoni, God forbid, uh, that you're excited about most for the Sixers. Who do you want to see get the job? I'm always in favor of like a new guy. Um, I, I, th- I just think we've seen, you know, what the other guys have to offer. I can tell you right now, I'm not really high on Monty Williams. Um, I would like to see Sam Cassell get a shot, but I mean, I think you can never lose. I think when it comes to some of these veteran coaches, one of the reasons why you always see this musical chair of, of, of veteran coaches is because you kind of know that you're going to get a competent head coach. I mean, there's, I mean, you could hire a new head coach and you can get, you know, Steven Stylus. I mean, and you know, it's, I mean, that's not the, you know, to dump on him, but I mean, you saw that. that <laughs> Tough Steven team. Silas stray here on, on, on Handle <laughs> TV, just catching it out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to dump on him, but I mean, you saw that that Rockets franchise wasn't really competent. So, I mean, mm-hmm. as much as I wasn't really a fan of the doc hire, I mean, the Sixers were a competent team. I mean, this is a team that pretty much won 50 games. So um, if I had to choose somebody, I mean, I definitely would probably go with Nick Nurse or um, Frank Vogel, but I, I'm always in favor of like giving new blood a shot because I mean, look, you saw what happened when the Golden State Warriors hired Steve Kerr. I mean, 
This is a guy who, you know, worked in the front office and he he turned that franchise around. I know people are going to say, you know, Mark Jackson deserved a lot of credit, which he did. But under Mark Jackson, they were just 13th in offense. And Steve Kerr with the motion offense and, and pulling Steph Curry off the ball and, you know, benching Andre Iguodala, having him a, be a sixth man. He unlocked that offense and they became one of the best offenses in NBA history under Steve Kerr. Um, so I'm always in favor of giving, giving new blood a shot. Yeah, they need they need to I mean, make an aggressive hire. They need to, to shake things up a little bit because they need a competitive edge that is not going to be afforded by somebody with the same tried and true ideas. Like they, they can't bring back Doc and be like, oh, if we're just a little bit better coaching, we'll get over the hump. No, they need something a little more, I think, uh, disruptive than that. This has been a Raheem Palmer and Ben Solak for the Philly special on FanDuel TV. We're going to toss to break, come on back and discuss some NFC East opponents for the Eagles and their season outlook moving forward. This after the break. We are back. Ben Solak, Raheem Palmer here on the Philly special. Uh, I always forget that Raheem is a Cowboys fan. And then I remember <laughs> that Raheem is a Cowboys fan and it breaks my little heart. But it made this a perfect opportunity to talk some of the Eagles NFC's rivals, a little Cowboys, Eagles, Giants offseason recap. And I want to start with those Cowboys uh, that you know so dearly and so well, because when I sit down and I look at the Cowboys offseason, it's exactly what I would have asked them to do if I were in charge. I would have said, all right, like it's probably time to let Tony Pollard take the backfield over Ezekiel Elliott. All right, we should probably put Tyron Smith left tackle and kick Tyler Smith into left guard. We probably got to get a corner two opposite Trevon Diggs. Let's go get Stephon Gilmore. We got to get more explosive at wide receivers. Let's go get Brandon Cooks. Like all of this makes sense. I love it. It's great. Mozzie Smith in the first round handled the interior defensive line, which has been a weakness. I'm loving it. However, they did let Kellen Moore go and gave control of the offense to Mike McCarthy, which feels like it, it, it as one move alone erases the benefits created by several good offseason decisions over the course of a few months. Uh, so this Cowboys team was one of the top three teams in the NFC last season, and I think was a, a, a legitimate team to win the NFC title, if not for the fact that they don't know how to beat the San Francisco 49ers. I f- have no reason to believe they're worse looking at the roster, but I also really struggle to think that Mike McCarthy is a championship caliber coach. So I don't know which direction I'm being pulled on the Cowboys. What direction are you being pulled? I, I, I'm, I'm kind of in the same, you know, I, I'm sticking the same thing, honestly. Um, my biggest thing right now, I mean, obviously we lose Dalton Schultz. That's, that's, that's a pretty big loss. Um, bringing Brandon Cooks. I think it all depends on, on Dak. And, you know, Dak Prescott, I mean, he's been around for a while. But ever since he came back from his injury a couple years ago, this hasn't been the same quarterback. And... You yeah. saw all last year, he had all those interceptions. So, I mean, this is a quarterback's league. At the end of the day, if your quarterback plays like a star, I mean, you have a chance. And I still don't trust, I don't trust, I don't trust Dak right now. And I don't trust the coaching staff. I mean, Dak threw so many interceptions last year. And, you know, I think a big part of it was letting Amari Cooper go um, because mm-hmm. they just didn't have, you know, that number two guy to really stretch the field. Um, you bring in Brandon Cooks, but I mean, how many teams has this guy been with? So I'm not that high on the Dallas Cowboys. If you ask me, I think this, this will be a solid team, likely be a playoff team, but I don't see them really making noise unless, you know, Dak makes a, a step up and improves from what he's been, you know, last year. Yeah. The Dak interceptions thing is, is a tricky one. We talked about this a lot on the ringer NFL show and it was going down over the course of the season. We obviously touched on it a little bit 
during the the Eagles shows whenever we would get uh, an Eagles Cowboys game. Dak, like like whenever you whenever you talk about quarterback play style, like it's going to be defined by what's the bad thing that they do when they're pressured, right? Some quarterbacks are like high throwaway, high check down, low yards per attempt players, right? They just kind of get rid of the ball quickly, chuck it to the sideline, chuck it underneath, and they don't have aggression. That kind of lets your offense be stunted. Some quarterbacks are high sack guys, right? Joe Burrow, Russell Wilson, these guys are high sack players. They're going to run around. They're going to try to extend. It's going to mean great yards per attempt. They're going to chuck the ball super far down the field, but they're going to invite sacks, and sacks are drive killers, right? Like you you get from first and 10 to second and 19, that's ball game. You are not picking up that first down. And then there's the quarterbacks who are high interception quarterbacks. And I like the 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 Dak thing is just he's standing there in the pocket. He's managing the pocket wonderfully. Like he's so good at finding that little bit amount of space. And then he's trying to make these really aggressive throws over the middle of the field. And and, and you just wish, right, he felt more comfortable scrambling after that foot injury. But it just seems like he doesn't want to break as often. He doesn't want to tuck and run as much. He wants to take fewer hits. And so now he's really trying to hammer some tight windows. And I think his interception number is going to go down. Like he had so many like, tip drill nonsense off Ezekiel Elliott's hands, off Dalton Schultz's hands. Like I think that it's going to be better. I do think that Brandon Cooks is going to help. But like play style wise, Dak is in a weird place where like you don't want to tell your very talented quarterback with a great arm to be less aggressive because it's good to attack windows and he makes a lot of like delightful tight window throws. But you do need to find a way to convince this quarterback who's approaching his 30s, who's got a huge money quarterback. He probably has to run it a little bit more. He has to tuck and run and scramble, which is like counterintuitive. Most teams are trying to convince their quarterbacks to run less and take fewer hits. And in Dak's case, you probably have to say, like, we need you to, to be a little bit more dual threaty. That's when you were at your best. And, and you've tr- tried to put that away a little bit for the sake of some of these really aggressive throws. And it's just not helping the offense right now. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I, so it seems like we're on the same page with the Cowboys. Um, I mean, how do we feel about everybody else? Because I know, I mean, like when I look at the Giants, they're mm-hmm. a team that I, I expect them to take a step back. And I, I, I know Ryan. You tell me the Giants it. are not making the divisional round of the playoffs this year. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm stunned. <laughs> I, I mean, I, they just had one of the easiest schedules in the league last year. Um, yeah. So I, I just think they have to take a step back. And I, I expect the um, what do you what do you expect from the, the commanders? I think that's the that's the wild card in this division. Yeah, well, let's 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 recap and look at the Giants offseason real quick. Honestly, it was an offseason more of stability than it was anything else. They elected to Mm -hmm. keep Daniel Jones on a long term extension and then keep Saquon Barkley on the franchise tag. Their big addition in free agency is linebacker Bobby Okereke, who comes over from Indianapolis, who is like a wonderfully solid linebacker, a good B tier starter who they're paying like kind of big money to. But this team is playing, you know, Gerard Davis and. Ruben Foster, I think it was. No, it was, was it a, <laughs> oh, some ex Bama linebacker who can't play? I can't remember now. It was not a good linebacker room. Uh, and so it's important for them to get uh, Bobby Okereke in the building. He's their big uh, free agent signing. And then in the draft, uh, a starting corner in Deontay Banks, who I love, a starting center in John Michael Schmitz, which they def- uh, desperately needed. And then Jalen Hyatt, the speed receiver in the third round, now completing what is the weirdest wide receiver room in the NFL. Uh, Jalen Hyatt, Sterling Shepard, Wandale Robinson, Paris Campbell, Darius Slayton absolutely no size no strength no big guys and then randomly isaiah hodgins who's like enormous it's just a it's a very odd construction of wide receivers for brian dable i agree i think like they they have to get a step back like you said the schedule is going to get a lot more challenging there's going to be some some late game uh one score game regression that's going to come to them right dable i think is going to continue to have an advantage there because he's an aggressive coach and he goes for two and he knows how to manage late game situations 
But in general, you expect that to to, to regress. And then, like, Daniel Jones is going to regress, right? Like, that yeah. was a 10th in the league in EPA per play. And, like, he's not that good. I think that wide receiver stability is going to help him and offensive line stability is going to help him. Like, I could see him playing better in terms of, like, the actual product on the field. But I don't think this this Brian Dable offense is going to take as many people by surprise as it did last season where they're using him like Josh Allen and using him like Justin Fields and they're running him a ton and they're doing creative backfield stuff and two back stuff like that's kind of gimmicky. And and I think you're going to you're going to see defenses more effectively play that and then force Daniel Jones to be a big boy. And when you force Daniel Jones to be a big boy, Daniel Jones takes sacks and throws interceptions. So I think that, yeah, like I think the Giants are like arrow pointing up, added good talent. I trust the coaching staff. Also, your record's going to be worse, which is not fair. That's that's a yeah. shame. But I think that that's that that that's the uh, the future I see for the Giants. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's, it's a small sample size sport, so it's just unfortunately that's the NFL. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not an eighty-two game season like the NBA, where uh, you know you have time for things to play out. So um, they'll definitely be a better team, but worse record. So I agree with that. Yeah. All right. Uh, Commanders. Commanders are, are are the team that is is most interesting to me. Which is kind of weird because it's just another year of Ron Rivera and their quarterback room right now is Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett. So you can only be so interesting when you're kind of just still doing the same stuff you've been doing. But Eric Bieniemy's got the offensive coordinator job and Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson and Curtis Samuel is nothing to sneeze at, man. Like if they get a good quarterback out of the combination of Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett, which I don't think they will. But if they do, Jacoby's like, you know, the 20 fifth best quarterback in the league like Jacoby's functional but if they get like good quality play I mean the Eagles have struggled with this commanders team over the last few seasons you know what I'm saying like it's a uh I can see this offense being a lot better than people are anticipating uh they didn't really add anybody significant in terms of draft picks or or, or free agents along the offense Ricky Stromberg in the third round gives them a uh center option behind Nick Gates who they sign in free agency, Andrew Wiley, the right tackle, who they also signed in free agency, just kind of getting a higher floor for that offensive line. Defensively is where they invested, right? Big extension for Deron Payne, uh, drafted Emmanuel Forbes, the corner in the first round, and Jartavius Martin, the uh, safety out of Illinois in the second round. Cody Barton comes over in free agency. It's It's been a talented defense there for years, and they've still got talent on defense. Washington is not toothless. They've never been toothless for, for the Eagles, but I certainly think this year as well, they're not toothless so long as they get lucky at quarterback. Yeah, um, I mean, we all know the, the defense is going to be the strength of their team. Um, so um, obviously, you still got you got Chase Young coming back. You got uh, Montez. I mean, they got good pieces on the defense. So I, I, with that yeah. defensive line, they didn't gonna be pick able to up run. Chase Young's fifth year, though, right? They 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 yeah. said we'd like to see you come back from injury first, and I think that was the right call. Like it's it's I think Chase Young is a big name. So he was the second overall pick and out of Ohio State after the Bosa. Like everybody knows him, but like proof of the pudding has not been in the Eaton for Chase Young. He he needs to produce. He's going to get a big yeah. second, second contract. Without a doubt. But I mean, like, I, I mean, I've always loved their weapons. I mean, Terry McLaurin's one of the best in the league. That's it. I mean, Curtis Samuel. So how is going to have guys to throw the ball to? Um, and, and if Rosetta is starting, I mean, he's shown that he can be, you know, a competent quarterback. Uh, Are you a Howell but, guy? Is this is this Raheem Palmer coming out as a Sam Howell believer? I, I'm not there yet. I, I, I still okay. need to see more of him. I'm going to be honest with you. But um, when you have these type of weapons, I mean, like, you have a shot. <laughs> so I'm I'm not willing to, you know, put my opinions on the line. But I mean, I think, you know, the six and a half win total that, you know, FanDuel has, I think it's it's probably accurate. 
Ah, a good transition because that's what I wanted to talk to next, which is just look at some win totals. Last year, as a reminder, mm. Eagles win 14 games, Cowboys win 12, the Giants win nine, and again, went to the divisional round of the playoffs, uh, and the Commanders went eight, eight, and one. Uh, you brought up that Washington Commanders line at six and a half. It's even juice on both sides. I'm like, I, I, I haven't purchased this myself, but if I'm leaning somewhere in that, I'm leaning over. I think Ron Rivera is as functional as it gets. I think that roster is solid, and I think they have good coaching, and they're fine, and they're going to beat the bad teams and lose to the good teams and win one they're not supposed to win and lose one they're not supposed to lose and end up at 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one just like they were last season. So to me, like I think they're, they're, they're a little better than six and a half. You seemed like you thought it was, it was a square line. Yeah, I thought it was a little too low too as well. I, I think that's one that I would lean over. I haven't I haven't bet anything yet, but that's where I would probably yeah. go. Uh, do you have any NFL long season stuff yet or no? Just curious. There were some week one lines that I like. I was like really interested in. I think Arizona catching six. I think that's a little bit too high. Um, I definitely like um well Arizona catching six against the Commanders. I think that's a little bit yeah. too high. Um, I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers plus six and a half. That's against the Vikings. I really like that one just because I'm hoping to fade the Vikings pretty much all year. I mean, we yeah. all know their one score regression is coming. Um, and their Pythagorean expectation was just, I mean, like they were a it team was, who won. They, they, they were <laughs> supposed to be like a 500 team and they won like, yeah. 13 games. Insane. Yeah. So that's a, that's a team that I'm hoping to fade. And then, I mean, we all, I mean, I hate to say this on the Philly special, but I think week one, I think I like the Patriots against the Eagles. We all know how. Plus four. Works. Yeah, Super Bowl yeah. losers tend to struggle in week one. So that's that's one I'm targeting. But I think the Eagles are still going to be good. So um, that one's a little scary, but that, that one yeah. jumps out to me. Extremely likely there's no preseason for the Eagles, too, which they've been okay with that. But teams that don't play starters at all in the preseason can show up in week one and just fall completely flat on their face, right? The Packers right now are two-point dogs to the Bears, which... You can't tell me there isn't a little bit of like, look at the Packers week ones of the last couple of seasons baked into that. Like certainly there's Jordan Love uh, uncertainty, but uh, the Packers have been a team that's come out really, really flat in week ones. They don't play much in the preseason. You see the Rams come out flat in week ones. They don't play in the preseason. And so, yeah, the Eagles, I think, also belong in that bucket. Uh, I'm a proud Jags minus three and a half at Colts owner for week one. I, uh, I love an Anthony Richardson. I do not love an Anthony Richardson first start in the NFL against a playoff caliber team in the Jaguars. That one that one worries me. Anyway, I like that back, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Back 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 on on topic, the Giants. Uh seven and a half wins is the total. Right now there's juice to the over minus 122. As we said, the Giants were a nine win team last season. A little bit of a lucky team, a little bit of a candidate for some negative regression, but obviously had the playoff win over the Vikings. Uh this is the right line. I'm not touching this. Like I I I I fear too much about what Brian Dable does uh, well to fade them entirely, but this is about where the line should be. They're more around a 500 team than they are around a legitimate playoff team. And so uh, seven and a half, I think is about right for the Giants. Yeah, I think this is about right. I don't, I don't see any value either direction. You know, last year um, we actually gave out the Giants to make the playoffs and we, we gave out the Giants over on the win total last year. So that yeah. was like one of our big scores last year. I even sprinkled something on them to win the NFC East, which you know, obviously the Eagles were the best team in that division, but I mean, we cleaned up on the playoff and the clean up on the overwind total bets. But I won't have anything on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, okay, Dallas Cowboys. I'm interested in because over nine and a half wins is minus one fifty. Big favorite there. Under nine and a half is plus one twenty. Uh, with that said, I would be very surprised if the Cowboys 
are under nine and a half. It's juice, but I don't think it's juice enough. I'd be very happy taking this at minus 150. This is a very talented team with a lot of stability year over year. And even with the Kellen Moore change to Mike McCarthy, like I think that, that Dak has some deserved doubt in terms of his performance against playoff caliber defenses and his performance in January. But as a regular season quarterback, like I mean, and obviously like he missed time last season and Cooper Rush showed that he can carry this team and this talent to, to functional win totals. Like I just think like, this is I this is the most talented team in the league that has a win total under 10. And so to yeah, me, like, over I, I think this half, is disrespectful. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is that their win total was 10 and a half last year and it took a lot of sharp money and it pushed it under. Um, and, you know, when Dak got hurt last year, I thought, you know, we were going to cash that ticket and it didn't even come close to cashing. So um, five and one this, Cooper Rush, baby. Oh, my God. Uh, and there was a lot of sharp money. All the professional money was on the Cowboys under last year. Um, but I think this is too low. Um, yeah. And a big know, part we, of that, that sharp money was we all thought that, OK, like Dan Quinn, nice defense. Congrats. But like defense regresses. They had like 85 turnovers in 2021. Like there's no way they're going to do this again in 2022. And they didn't. They didn't have the crazy turnover performance. But the defense was still really effective, right? Like, yeah, the Eagles pass rush was setting records in terms of like sack totals. But if you go and look at like per snap pressure numbers, the Cowboys were the better pass rush, right? They were the ones who were more consistently generating pressure on the quarterback. Now, they had coverage problems and they're hoping to solve some of that coverage problem with the addition of Stephon Gilmore, which Gilmore's past his prime. But, uh, you know, I think that I now like last season, I was fading the Cowboys in part because I was fading that defense because it had, had such a peak performance in 21 there's no way they're going to do this again in 22. Well, they did. It doesn't mean defense is any stickier than it was. Def- defense is still volatile. Great team, great defense, can have bad performance, can have a bad season, no question. But I think there's more warranted faith now in that Cowboys defense than there was last season when you saw all that money coming in on the under. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I, honestly, I mean, honestly, I think the Cowboys are just being so undervalued. Like, I wouldn't mind, you know, sprinkling on sprinkling something on them you know, to win a division and also, I mean, their NFC and Super Bowl futures. Obviously, I still don't believe in Mike McCarthy, but I just think this mm-hmm. defense is so good. And if, you know, you said Dak can, you know, like decrease his interception um, numbers, if he can do that, I think this this Cowboys team is legit. Yeah. Uh, division odds, Eagles plus 100, which for those who don't speak betting means the Eagles are getting about a 50% chance uh, to win the division. Cowboys plus 175, Giants plus 600, Commanders plus 1,000. I do like I hear you on sprinkling the Cowboys. The the team that I think is mispriced there is the Giants. I think they have a better than plus 600 chance to win the division because mm. if they're good again, they're going to be like it's the same guys as last year. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if they're still working, if he if, if Dable can still keep Jones afloat, they, they have the formula on offense and defensively they've added talent. Like I think that I, I do think plus 600 is low for the Giants, but that's like that's for shenanigans. That's not for making money. That's for that's for having a ticket you can screenshot and show later in the year when, like you know, the Giants are one game out of the division. But I mean, you, I mean, to, to give yourself some credit, that's also you also put yourself in a hedge position too. Um, yeah, you put yourself in a hedge position, or you know, some of these books they actually let you cash out of futures, so um, you can get some equity there. So I'm not mad at that one. Yeah, we uh, probably should mention the. Uh, season-long win totals for the philadelphia eagles uh even though this is the nfc east preview eagles are sitting at uh over under 10 and a half wins heavy juice to the over we ran through the schedule on release day me shield and cliff and i think i gave them like 14 wins or something you know what i'm saying it's may i'm just like yeah they're beating the niners don't worry about it uh 10 and a half a more reasonable expectation for a team that has a 
extremely difficult schedule, especially down the back half of the year where you expect there to be some injury and you expect there to be some uncertainty. A team that's got changes at both offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator positions. And a team, like you said, coming off the Super Bowl loss with the potential hangover. I look at the Eagles roster and I say, okay, that team is clearly winning more than 10 and a half games. I look at all the contributing factors to this upcoming Eagles season, and that introduces a lot more uncertainty. I still expect them to be a double digit win team. If you put a water gun to my head and made me pick, I'm taking over 10 and a half. But there's a lot that can go sideways with this Eagles season, makes them a difficult team for some season long projections. What do you think can go wrong? Um, I'm just curious. So I would say, I you know, uh, this offense wasn't that wasn't what we saw last year. It wasn't the the version that made the Super Bowl until Nick Sirianni gave up play calling to Shane Steichen, right? So for as much as this is still Sirianni's offense and he's an offensive coach and he's the head coach, it's very important that Brian Johnson, who has some play calling experience but not a lot, is a good play caller. Shane Steichen was a excellent sequential play caller, right? So good at at finishing drives, at picking up third downs, picking up fourth downs, turning point drives into seven instead of three, right? The Eagles were tremendous in the red zone, tremendous on late downs. Brian Johnson, even if he's a good play caller, I think some of that can regress defensively. Certainly, I think Sean Desai has a good chance to be better than Jonathan Gannon was in terms of what they do structurally. Um, but this defense performed extremely well last season, and I think you're in for some Hassan Reddick sack number regression. I think you reasonably are into some Brandon Graham sack number regression. Let's not forget that Brandon Graham's first ever season of double digit sacks was last season when he was 33 years old, right? Like even like I said, even if you're pressuring at a very high number, some of those sacks start to come down. And instead of sacks, you get incompletions. Sure. But now offenses can sustain drives a little bit better. You're not getting those drive enders. So there's some negative regression. The the uncertainty at coordinators, I think, is a very, very big part of it. And then the Eagles had excellent injury luck and played a very long season and and, and you expect injury luck to show up and rear its head in, 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 in uglier ways at uglier times, right? They last season spent the entire year with two corners over 30 years old, no proven depth, and just vibed, just lived on a razor's edge and, and, and didn't run into a problem. Darius Lane, James Bradbury, who uh, uh, Shield went through this a few weeks ago on a mailbag episode. If you go and you look at, at corners 32 and older who took a majority of their team snaps last season, I think it was like plus, like, I think it was like 600, 700 snaps. The list is Patrick Peterson, and that's it. And that's what they're trying to do with Darius Slade this year, right? They are old at that position. So I think you're just going to see the, the, the length of last season, the exhaustion of last season, and then the departure, the brain drain from last season catch up to them a little bit. Again, still expect them to be a double-digit win team, but there's, you know, red flags here in terms of like a team that you want to bet season-long win total when you look at the Eagles profile. I think you summed that up pretty well. Um, and then obviously you did lose, you know, CJ Gardner-Johnson. I think that's going to be a big loss for you guys. Um, I mean, you guys drafted everybody from Georgia. So how, how do you think of those those new yeah. additions are going to do? <laughs> I mean, it's uh, as I said in, in, in our post-draft podcast, the draft is easy. It's never been hard. Not even once. Getting good players is not challenging. Nobody, uh, every, all the teams that are bad at this shouldn't be bad at this. Just draft all the Georgia players. Now, it, they're, they're, they continue to invest the way they always invest. Defensive line, pass rush, right? And they're going to let Reed Blankenship and Terrell Edmonds fight it out at safety. And they're going to let N'Kobe Dean and Nicholas Morrow fight it out at linebacker. And they're going to try to strap it together with duct tape back there. Uh, and so, like... They drafted excellent players and they're in a position since they won the NFC to just draft excellent players and, and continue to build the way they want to build. I think they're going to be a little bit weaker at safety and linebacker than they should be. Um, but they're still going to get high, high impact play 
from Jalen Carter. And I think Nolan Smith's going to give you splash plays when he gets on the field. He's not going to have enough snaps to be like a really high impact player. Uh, but it's a good. It's a great draft for like their long term team health. There are some gaps left on the defense, like you said, like Chauncey departing, T.J. Edwards and Kaiser White both departing that they didn't necessarily fill right away. But High Roseman was never going to do that, so I wasn't holding my breath. I wasn't hoping. Yeah, I- I'm not mad yeah. at that. I'm not. I'm not mad at that at all. That is our NFC East offseason look. We are going to have pods in the summer. There's going to be a little bit of a break in June. Sixers basketball quiet. Phillies are doing whatever the Phillies are doing. I refuse to pay attention to that. And obviously, every single Eagles player is in Cabo or Fiji or wherever Jason Kelsey is for his podcast, just hanging out. So it's a bit of a dull season in, in June. We'll be taking a couple of weeks off. I'll be on vacation at the beginning of June. Sheil, who's currently in Sweden, is going to continue to be on vacation. So we'll have a bit of a quieter feed uh, over the course of June. But when we get into July and we start to orient ourselves towards training camps and season-long expectations, the podcast for the Eagles will ramp back up. Until then, thank you, Raheem, for hopping on with me. I appreciate it. Thank you, as always, to Cliff Augustine, our friendly producer, and Connor Evans and Arjuna Ramgopal for their additional production supervision. We will catch you back on the Philly Special later this season.